We've almost finished the story. By that I mean, for the past several months, we have been on a journey, a journey that should be familiar to most of us. Maybe it was the first time many of these stories came to your, on your radar, first time you've ever heard them. We've been taking the Bible and sharing the story of Scripture chronologically as best we can. We even had a, a special edition of the Bible called the Story Bible. And though we're winding up, next week will be the last chapter, chapter 31, as we've been looking at how that Bible is laid out. Uh, it's still a very worthwhile investment. So if you're by a bookstore and you see that edition called the Story Bible, uh, it's normally very affordable. And I would encourage you to pick up a copy. And as you're reading through God's Word, if you want a different perspective than just all of it right here in one book. Take that chronological look, more of a survey of God's Word and of His eternal purpose in our lives. But nevertheless, when we covered the story, we know we call it the story because it's the only one that really matters. All of the episodes, all of the men and the women, all the way from the very first book of the Bible, Adam and Eve, and through Abraham and his children, and through the Exodus and the prophets, and even when we turn to the pages of the New Testament, we know the point of the story is Jesus the Christ, born without sin, living a perfect sinless life, yet going to a cross and dying that we might live. That's the story. That's the point of it all. Don't ever forget that. That's why this season of Thanksgiving followed by Christmas is so important to, to the world, yes, though many of people in the world misunderstand it and see it as just being some special day when things are extra slow and there's time off from work during this season of the year. But for us who see through eyes of faith, we celebrate it not just in December. We celebrate it not just one time of the year, but we should be celebrating the story each and every day that we live. And all God's people said? All right. But where we find ourselves today is we're wrapping it up. We're, we've been looking. The, the readings from these past days that led up to today have been basically concerned with Paul, the apostle, with his writings, with his letters. We've talked about him before. We know that he is found in the pages of Scripture beginning in the book of Acts when his name was the Hebrew name, Saul. When he had his conversion experience on the road to Damascus, he changed his name to the Greek form, which is Paul, and that's how we know him best. But Paul becomes the central figure in the early church. Not that there were not other missionaries or other people who were important for spreading the gospel, but the pages of Scripture, as God has given them to us, center upon this man because there's much to learn from his life. We pick up today in perhaps what I would think is the last book, the last letter that he wrote. There are 13 of them in the New Testament attributed to Paul. And it's this last one that I want to focus on. It's in 2 Timothy chapter Four. It begins in verse 9 and reads through verse 14. As I was going through the readings and looking at what would be most appropriate for our consideration this morning, it's the connections that Paul mentions. You know, a lot of times we skip over the beginning and the ending of, of letters in the New Testament, and we shouldn't. 
when we get to those names, they puzzle us. They're hard to pronounce, and we just kind of gloss over them because there's other stuff to read. And that's not correct because it's in every single word, every single verse. If we look deeply enough, we will find truth. And so it is when we come to a passage that we're going to read this morning that seems so indirect, it seems just beside the point, we take a closer look at the connections that Paul had in his life. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, God's Word says this. This is Paul speaking to Timothy. Make every effort to come to me soon. For Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Pick up Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. But Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. When you come back, Timothy, bring my cloak, which I left in Troas with Carpus, and bring the books, especially the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Okay, I admit it. There's probably not a person in this room that will say they came to faith in Christ based upon these verses. I understand that. You probably would hearken to something inspiring like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Or for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Yes, there are some, some very important mountaintop verses in the scripture that more than likely we've been drawn to faith through the preaching, through the teaching, through the understanding of those verses. But don't ever ignore the truth of these closing verses. There's a a website. It's entitled the 25 most important last words ever spoken. Just type in something like that. It takes you to a, a website where some person It's their judgment. It's their opinion. They have gone through history and they've taken the last words, the dying words of men and women and have ranked them, 1 to 25, one being the most important. I went and looked at it and there's some people I recognize. I think someone picked up on what people thought may have been Abraham Lincoln's final words, though his life was taken so suddenly. No one could know for sure what came from his lips during his last moments. But there's one physician in England who lived a couple of hundred years ago, and his wife took down his last words. Doesn't matter what his name is, he just was a practicing physician in Great Britain. But when he was asked, what's most important to you? His wife wrote down in his diary that he said, I have Christ, and that is enough. I have Christ, and that is enough. I think we're looking at the last words of Paul the Apostle. And perhaps the the last words are going to be found a little bit earlier in this chapter where he said, Timothy, I have fought the good faith. I have kept, I've fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished the course that was set for me. Those are fitting last words. 
But you notice that as he closes out this last letter, this last correspondence, as far as we can tell, he mentions names. He talks about relationships, connections. We all have them. And I want us to take just a little closer look at these names, these connections that were important enough for Paul to mention. Because he's found, in, he's found himself in prison once again. It's not his first imprisonment. It could have well been his second or his third. It's his last, no doubt. And this time it's not a house arrest like it was the first time in Rome where he had an apartment and he could have visitors come and go. This is a dungeon. This is a dark place. He's literally in chains this final time. And history outside of the Bible will tell us that Paul was martyred for his faith. So when he's in this situation, it's these connections that surprise me. He lists nine names in this passage. Some of them are healthy relationships and some of them are fractured relationships. If we start and begin to look through it, I'm going to take them out of order. You can look at them in the order that they appear in the scripture or you can study them for yourself. But among those that were healthy, there are several names listed. Tychicus is one of those names. Tychicus is a name that appears in the book of Acts. He was a a comrade of Paul. He traveled with him on his third missionary journey, his final missionary, official missionary journey. That's all we know about Tychicus. But he was a good guy. And Paul was connected to him. Paul appreciated him. He mentions Crescens or Crescens. This is the only reference to this man we have in all of Scripture. We know nothing else about him except Paul says that he sent him to Galatia. Galatia is that region where Paul had founded many churches. So no doubt, Crescens was sent to Galatia. Paul got word to him that perhaps the churches there needed some attention. That's all we know about him. He mentions a man named Titus. And Titus is a little more familiar to many of us. He has a name inscribed in a New Testament book. One of the letters that Paul wrote was to Titus. It's going to be found right here close to 2 Timothy. Titus, we know, was a Gentile. He ministered and lived mainly on the island of Crete. Paul had visited that island before and had founded a church there. And we know that Titus was not only a Gentile, but he well was an example of a person that Paul could say, here is a man who is not a Jew by birth, but he has come into the kingdom of God. His testimony is one of grace plus nothing. There's nothing else that he needs to add. You remember that was a big deal back then. If you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to be a good Jew. Guys, you've got to get circumcised. You've got to follow the letter of the law. And Paul would use Titus many times as an example of someone who had proven by his walk, by his testimony, that salvation was by grace and nothing else. That's Titus. Then you've got this man named Carpus, C-A-R-P-U-S. Paul visited Carpus in Troas, which is a city in the northwest part of Turkey today. And Paul had left his coat with Carpus. When he says cloak, it was more of a heavy piece of material with a, a hole that you could put over your head and it would rest and anchor against the neck, more like what we might call a poncho today. But it was something that really was the difference between life and death, depending upon the season of the year and where you found yourself. And so Paul just mentions a personal request. Timothy, when you come see me, come see me soon. 
But I want you to go by, and I want you to get my cloak from Carpus. He mentions that Carpus also, or he wants Timothy also to bring, he calls them the books and the parchments. See, English, we just gloss over them. Book, parchment, scroll. Oh, don't you remember? They didn't have the luxury of having writing material like this. The fact that we read out of a book where the pages are glued together on one end and we can lay it flat and thumb through it that's known technically as a codex, that had just begun to be practiced. And so one of these words for books probably means scroll, cumbersome, heavy. You couldn't look up more than one passage at a time. Parchment. Maybe that's a reference to some of the special books that Paul had that had been bound together on the edge, just like the books we read today. A phenomenal discovery to where maybe he had collected parts of the Gospels, maybe some of his own letters that he was keeping because he knew that they were important for generations to come. Whatever the case, what did Paul want? He wanted to take care of his physical needs. He wanted his coat, but he also wanted to renew his mind. He wanted, he wanted God's words. And he wanted Timothy to bring them to him. He wanted Carpus to gather them for him. Then you have Luke. He mentions Luke here. He says, only Luke is with me. Luke, the beloved physician. The man who traveled with Paul. And it's an interesting study, but you get to certain portions of Acts. Most of it is written in the third person. They did this. They did that. Paul went over here. Paul went over there. But then there's a portion right there beginning the second missionary journey in Acts 16 where all of a sudden it turns to first person. We got into a boat and sailed over to Greece. We went to Philippi. We made it to Ephesus. I mean, Luke was with Paul. And that subtle change of the person from third person to first person is not something to be discounted. But we have the record of an eyewitness. Luke wrote two volumes that we have in our New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the history of the church as in the book of Acts. A very important individual in Paul's life. So much you could say about him, but that's all we have time for this morning. Because he also mentions Mark. He says, only Luke is with me. And he says, Timothy, pick up Mark and bring him with you. For he is useful to me for service. Mark. Now see, this is amazing. Because Mark is the perfect example of a lesson about maturity and second chances. The very first missionary journey, Paul hooked up with his friend Barnabas and They got together a group of Christians to go and to check out the the world outside of Israel. Barnabas had a young cousin, maybe a nephew, named John Mark. He wanted Mark to come along. Paul was great with that. But they went to Crete, and then when they crossed up into Asia Minor and began to head up that road to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe, they were in an area that was dangerous. Lots of crime. And for whatever reason, the book of Acts tells us 
that this young man named John Mark got scared and he turned and he ran and he fled. He deserted Paul. Well, Luke tells the rest of the first missionary journey. It's Paul and Barnabas and the others. And then they have this Jerusalem conference where they talk about what the nature of salvation is in Acts 15. And after that's over... Paul and Barnabas decide to go on a second missionary journey. And Barnabas goes, okay, I'm going to get a hold of Mark and tell him to come along with us. And Paul said, absolutely not. He's untrustworthy. He's a tuck tail. He will not go on this journey with us. And the Bible says that the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas was so acute and so deep that they split over it. Paul went one way and picked up a new friend named Silas. Barnabas took John Mark and went another way. And for the most part, we don't know too much else about Barnabas and Mark because the narrative, Luke is with Paul and everything centers upon Paul. But as far as we can tell, the, the fractured relationship between Paul and Barnabas, and especially John Mark, was serious. But here Paul says, bring Mark. He's useful to me for service. You see, something happened. Mark got another chance. Mark admitted his mistakes. Paul came a little closer to reality himself, realizing that not everyone was perfect and people did deserve a second chance. And though we don't have all the details, all we have is the name. But it's the same guy. And this is the Mark that wrote the Gospel of Mark. Paul says, bring him with you. He's useful to me for service. Have you ever written anybody off? Have you ever said, done? Not want to think again. God may have something totally different in mind. And then, of course, he mentions Timothy. Timothy, like a son. Timothy, the young man that Paul picked up who had kind of a a strange family situation. His father was a Greek. We know no more about him. His father had very little uh, influence upon his life. But his mother and his grandmother did. And Paul, of course, as well. But if Paul was going to say he had a close connection to anyone, it would have been Timothy. Healthy relationships. But there are a few names in this list that are fractured, that represent negative things. One of them is the last guy I mentioned, Alexander. Paul says, God will deal with Alexander. So Paul knew enough to know that whatever vengeance he had in mind, he had to leave it up to God. That was a wise thing. And we know very little about who this man is. There are six of them, I think, we'll find in the New Testament. This one says Alexander was a coppersmith, which gives us a clue that it probably had something to do with the prophet that idolatry had brought to places where Paul had brought the gospel. And where Paul, where Paul brought the word of faith, idolatry was generally kicked out. And if you were a coppersmith and you made your lucrative living building little idols and fashioning things that people could worship, then you can see where Alexander the coppersmith had it in for Paul. There is an Alexander mentioned in Acts chapter 19, verse 33, that when Paul was taken captive in Ephesus and brought before that mob in the amphitheater, there was a man named Alexander who stood to, to further testify against Paul, but he didn't need to because the, the crowd had already turned against the apostle. 
We don't know who it was. We don't know how to say anything else about him except Paul acknowledged that God would take care of it. But then it's this last guy. This is the one that just bugs the fire out of me. He says, Demas, Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Demas. What happened to him? That's a short name for Demetrius. And we find this man Demas in two other passages in Paul's letters. One of them is Colossians 4.14, toward the end. Look what Paul says. Luke, the beloved physician, sends you his greetings as also Demas. Okay, here Demas is part of the crowd. He's part of the team. Philemon 24, Epaphras greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, and my fellow workers. But here in 2 Timothy 4, the last letter that Paul wrote, he says, Demas has deserted me. He's gone to Thessalonica. And the only reason he gives, having loved this present world. What does he mean? Why didn't he give us some more details about this? I mean, is this all there is to Demas? What caused him to do this? Well, we don't know. The only thing we can go by is the phrase, having loved this present world. And I would venture to suggest to you maybe some explanations for what would cause a faithful follower to turn away. And I'm not saying he turned away from the church necessarily. Maybe it was more personal than anything else. Maybe it was Paul feeling the, uh, the, the pain of separation. Whatever it was, it was huge. I think some people, and I just call it pull a Demas. I think some people pull a Demas or do a Demas because it's simply wrapped up in I did not get my way. I did not get my way. You know, some people come to Christ and they never count the cost. Maybe it's our fault. Maybe we never tell people the real truth. Maybe we never really say, hey, in following Jesus, your life is going to be great. And that's true. And in following Jesus, you're never going to have to worry again. Well, uh, that's kind of stretching the truth. But maybe many times people come into the kingdom of God and they've never really counted the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. And when they're called upon to suffer or when things aren't going quite like they want them to, they bug out. I didn't get my way. This is too hard. And folks, the Christian life is hard. If you have followed Jesus and have obeyed him in most of the details of your life, you would say, yes, the Christian life is hard. And we can talk about those scriptural promises of God's peace and God's presence being with us. And they are true in the midst of hard times. So if any of us think we hadn't been told the truth, it might be easy for us to love the present world. It's easier. And to pull away. And it's especially easy if in the life of a church, you don't get your way. 
I think another reason Demas did what he did is wrapped up in the simple fact that you might say, I'm not fed. Uh, This is a phrase that circulates a lot in church. Because if you don't like the way things are going in your church, if you don't like your preacher, the easiest excuse is, I'm not being fed. Folks, that, that phrase is so inflammatory, and it just gets the best of me. I mean, think about it. Some people have said, for Christians, you need to be fed for about six months. You need to have someone close to you. You need to have someone spoon-feeding you the doctrines of the Bible for about a year. But after a year to 18 months, let's get real here. You need to be feeding yourself. You need to be taking God's Word and internalizing it yourself. Now, if the preacher is preaching heresy, do something about it. Bring it on, you know. Take care of those things that need to be taken care of. If it is totally against God's Word. But if, if it's because things aren't going the way you want them to, if it's because you don't like things as they are, if it's because change is hard, then don't say, I'm not being fed. I think people pull a demas when they're simply drawn to other things. I mean, look at, look at where we live. How easy is it to say, forget this. I'll go over here and live the easy life. Forget that. I'm not going to do this. What do you mean? You're asking me to serve? What do you mean? You're asking me to, to tithe and to contribute and to sacrifice? <laughs> I don't hear that over here. I don't get that over there. And the simple fact may be that a lot of people just skip out. And the best explanation is they think they found something better. Did they? See, I sit here and I go, okay, you got Mark over here. He did the same thing. He deserted Paul. He turned tuck tail and, and ran. And Demas deserted Paul. He loved this present world and he deserted him. But Mark came back. Couldn't Demas have? I hope and pray he did. Because I don't look at the man's name and judge him. Because if I do, I'm really judging myself. We're really judging ourselves, are we not? That there is the possibility of a happy ending, of a, of a coming back to one's senses, of someone deciding it's not all about me, and it's not whether or not, quote, I'm getting fed, or it's not anything other than do I want to follow Jesus and do I believe his claim upon my life and do I accept it? You see, these connections are all around us. And a man here that we all should look up to. After all those great things he wrote about doctrine, all those fancy things about love in 1 Corinthians 13, when it comes right down to the end of it, when it comes right down to his final days, these are the things he said. These are the connections. 
that made a difference in his life. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to be with you, to gather here, to call upon your name. Father, it is, it is our intention to make choices that reflect our faithfulness in you. Thank you for loving us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Here's how we close out this hour. We offer a, an invitation. Not all churches do this, but we do. For we believe that when God gives us an opportunity to respond, when he's spoken to us, then he wants us to, to do something, make a choice. So that's why we call this an invitation, time of commitment. There'll be ministers and deacons standing here in the front to receive you, to counsel you, to pray with you. There are people in our church who believe in the power of prayer. I hope you do. And if prayer is what you need, you'll find Lawn up in the balcony and you'll find Sandy over here and Ray over here. All they're here for is to pray with you if that's what you want. But are you here today without Christ? Have you never said yes to the claim of Jesus upon your life? Have you never made the story your story? Then I invite you to make that choice. It's a decision. It's a stepping across a line of faith. It's the most important choice you'll ever make. And we invite you to make that choice, to come forward. If you need help with that, if you need someone to pray with you about that, that's why we're here. Maybe God's speaking to you about obedience. Maybe a, a young lady's testimony of believer's baptism is one that you need to follow through with. doesn't save you, but it's also something very important because it's God's idea. So if believer's baptism and following through with that act of obedience is what you need to do, come forward. Maybe joining this church is what God's plan is for you today. If you need a, a family of faith, a place where, where you can serve, where you can learn, where, yes, you can be fed, we all need that help, but a place where you can grow. And then maybe wherever you are, maybe your name is written all over this passage. Maybe, maybe Demas is someone you relate to very well. We all do. Step back. Return. And God will bless you for it. That's our invitation. We stand together. We sing. Won't you step out? Won't you come forward right now?